from WIS Politics in Madison. You're listening to Capital Chats. Hello, everybody. This is Kate Morton with WIS Politics here with a Capital Chats podcast brought to you by Spectrum. Today, I'm here with my colleague Adam Kellenhofer to talk about an interview he did with John Johnson. He is the Marquette Law School Lubar Center Research Fellow. So, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about that interview? Hi, Kate. Yeah, uh, John Johnson and I got to talk a lot about maps and redistricting because that's some of the big news in Wisconsin lately. Um, There is a redistricting case that's going to be before the Supreme Court shortly, so Let's just jump right into it because we cover a lot of the things that I want to talk about. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a WIS Politics Capital Chats podcast. Today, I am joined on the show by Marquette Law School Lubar Center Research Fellow John Johnson to talk about some legislative maps and redistricting. So welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So um, you are pretty familiar with a lot of the assembly and Senate district maps. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what some of these new maps are probably going to look like with this whole redistricting case before the Supreme Court. It seems like the Supreme Court is going to get the kind of first jab at at changing some of those maps and, uh, you know, ruling whether or not our current maps are uh, legal or not. And it is likely they're going to rule at least some of them are illegal because the current court makeup is now liberal with uh, recently elected Supreme Court Justice Janet Protasiewicz. So with all that background out of the way, um, why don't you talk a little bit about what those new maps might look like? Yeah. So my guess is that if they draw new maps, if the court decides to do that, it's going to be a wholesale redrawing. I think all 99 districts or or pretty nearly all of them will be redrawn, probably with the possible exception of some of the Milwaukee districts that come under the Voting Rights Act um, guidance, because that's kind of the one area where the Supreme Court might intervene. Um, and in the past, we've, we've seen sort of the inverse of this, where those are the only districts that get changed after the rest of the map has been set based on federal court rulings. Um, but but if they if they go the route of drawing new districts, I would expect to see just a map that bears no relation to what we currently have in almost every part of the state. So how do you think the the Voting Rights Act is that how is that going to play into those Milwaukee districts? So I'm just speculating here, but mm-hmm. you know there's there's quite a voluminous federal case law about uh, how exactly that um, the VRA and all the common law associated with the VRA needs to be taken into account when you draw um, the shorthand is to say majority black and majority Latino districts in Wisconsin's case. But in fact, it's not exactly a majority. That's the legal thing that matters. And you have to be a little bit careful using that word. It's just, it's just a district where, Black or Latino voters have um, kind of decisive control over the outcome of the election. Um, And I'm just speculating that, you know, one thing the court might do is sort of sidestep that whole issue by leaving those seats the same as they are now, which which uh, uh, we know federal courts are okay with because they've ruled that already. Of course, they might not do that. They might take a stab at. at uh, altering those, because that's certainly, uh, you know, 
you the the most practical way to change the way that seats lean in the suburbs of Milwaukee is to pair them with some of the voters in the city. Um, so I don't know what will happen there, but that's one of the areas that uh, I think will be particularly interesting to follow. Yeah, I I think it'll be very interesting to see. You know, the we a lot of people have talked about how uh, Democratic voters have kind of condensed themselves in cities, and in order to kind of make a a more competitive district, you'd have to chop up a lot of those districts. So um, do you think, first of all, I guess, is there a way to actually make district maps in Wisconsin that kind of reflect our more 50-50 or close to 50-50 statewide elections? If that was your goal, you sure could do it. I mean, you can do anything you want with just look at the Illinois maps. Uh, they, like, they achieve some pretty remarkable partisan ends um, in the maps that they've drawn down there, same as we've done up here. Um, it can be done. I think the question is, will the court, again, assuming that they do throw these maps out, will the court use a neutral process for drawing the maps where they don't uh, take into account partisan lean? So, you know, the way the way you would do this. So I guess to take a step back, I'm interested in the nuts and bolts of how the court actually would come up with a new map. So hmm. what a, what a assembly district map scheme actually looks like is a big CSV file where each row is a different geography, either a census block or a ward, depending on which one you use as the kind of Legos that you build the map out of. And then the other column is a number from one to 99 saying which district it's in. And we've got some rules that you got to follow. They got to be equal populations within this very small range of tolerance and 1% of the state's population or something like that. Um, and then we have these, another rule is that they have to be contiguous, but we should talk more about that in a minute because that's actually part of this lawsuit is what does contiguity mean? What fun. Um, and then we have uh, some, some sort of guidelines that are, that are in the law that say you need to try to not break municipal boundaries when you don't have to and you need to try to be compact but we don't define that and uh you should try even harder not to break county lines when you don't have to of course you have to sometimes to get the right population size because that's the overriding um, quantitative requirement of these districts it's the whole reason why we're redistricting is to equalize populations um and so you could try to follow those guidelines you could appoint a special master or somebody to draw the maps following those guidelines who uh, was only allowed to think about those things. And if you only thought about those things, you would end up with a map that would almost certainly still benefit Republicans just less so, quite a bit less so than the current maps do for the reason that you mentioned, which there are more highly populated, heavily Democratic areas than there are highly populated, heavily equally heavily Republican areas. Uh, or you could have a court that decides that they need to try to balance partisan strength in some way. You know, that could be an explicit goal. I don't have any insight into thinking of the court more than anyone else does. But if you decided to do that, yeah, there's all kinds of things you could do. Yeah, I I mean, a lot of this is is predicated on, you know, the thoughts of the the Supreme Court justices, and it's hard to hard to read their minds. Um, and uh, yeah, so that'll be very, very interesting. Um, but going back to that contiguity issue, um, a lot of people 
seem to define contiguity as, you know, the district can't have any like islands that aren't connected to the rest of the district. Um, but there's a lot of other definitions of contiguity. So what do you what do you think is going to happen with some of those districts? And and do you have any examples of of districts that the contiguity question might come up on? You know, several years ago when I started looking at Wisconsin districts more seriously, um, I thought contiguity was a, a sort of a simple criteria. Everything has to touch each other. And I guess you can argue about, you know, when you have a four corner situation, are the diagonals really touching each other when they meet at a single point? But I thought, you know, that's the extent of the controversy over what contiguity means. But um, you'd think I would know better working at a law school. Uh, and it turns out that, you know, the big dispute, I guess, historically in Wisconsin has been, OK, so there's this simple definition of contiguity that things need to touch. But uh, what about when you have a municipality that isn't contiguous? Because we also, you know, have this sense that uh, it's good to keep municipalities in a single district. Um, it's sort of a guideline that's in the law. And also it just sort of makes sense. Like we're trying to put communities of interest together. Municipalities are communities of interest. So what do you do when you have these islands? Um, and there was a court. I Boy, I wish I had uh, the specifics at my fingertips here. But I believe there was, for some point in Wisconsin history, there was a sense that contiguity had to be literally areas touching each other. And then there was a court ruling, I think, in the early 90s that said, well, you can have municipalities that have parts that aren't contiguous. You can call it contiguous to make them part of the same district. And uh, this lawsuit that's before the Supreme Court now says that that's wrong um, and that you need to go back to this more sort of simple dictionary definition of contiguity. And I think probably the legal thinking here is that you know, this lawsuit makes a lot of claims about partisan gerrymandering being wrong, um, that it violates the Wisconsin's constitution guarantee of equal protection and freedom of association and these kinds of things. Um, and those are maybe more maximal legal arguments. And uh, by including this kind of technical argument about how should we define contiguity, uh, it allows the justices, if they wanted to, to not accept the bolder arguments about partisan gerrymandering and actually choose this kind of limited argument that isn't about partisan gerrymandering at all. It's about what does contiguity mean? And on those grounds, they could throw out these maps. There's this additional uh, point they make that that is true. Um, I, I guess first I should say this weird island municipality contiguity thing actually affects a ton of districts in the state. Wisconsin mm -hmm. municipal boundaries are nuts um, because of all the little like annexations and things that happen. There's annexations constantly like every month there's there's some annexations happening in the state uh and so you end up with these pretty weird boundaries um and because we have this least change map this has particularly strange results in madison where uh, the city of madison annexed a lot of the surrounding towns over the last decade and because those town maps were drawn in 2011 using this island contiguity sort of allowance. Uh, but now they've been annexed by Madison. We end up with these places where there are islands within what is today the city of Madison that are part of 
uh, a different assembly district than everything that surrounds them that's also in the city of Madison because they weren't part of the city of Madison back in 2011. And that does seem like it's pretty clearly a problem even under the the the, the current non-contiguous contiguity municipal boundary definition. That got pretty technical, but I do think that we might see some arguments in the Supreme Court, some important decisions might hinge on these kinds of technicalities. It's possible. All right. That makes sense. Um, so we talked a little bit about cities and Democratic districts, and it's it's hard to kind of split those up to, to give Democrats more of an advantage. But are there going to be any major changes, do you think, in some of those more rural areas of Wisconsin? There certainly could be, uh, you know, one district that was tweaked is the, the 73rd uh, district, which is in extreme northwestern Wisconsin, where Superior is, you know, right next to Duluth. That's a district that was uh, held by Democrats for a long, long time. It flipped pretty narrowly to a Republican in the last election, and the district was drawn in a way that made it... Um, incrementally more Republican. And so, you know, that's a that's an example where I think it's it's plausible that uh, redistricting did change the outcome of that seat. And and really, it's where the lines were being drawn in these more rural parts of the district. The city of Superior stayed stayed within the district in both versions. Um, and so, you know. Weeks that don't involve that many people still could have uh, a fairly large effect there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting. And for our listeners who are listening, uh, that would be all of you. Uh, the the 73rd district belongs to Representative Angie Sampic. She was elected in the, the most recent cycle. So um, I have uh, I think I just have time for one more question, actually, because I, I know this is a extremely dense subject and we could talk about it for a very, very long time. And I know you do quite often uh, with a lot of other people because uh, it's you know what you do. But um Without a kind of fundamental change of how we do redistrict in Wisconsin, um, what's to say we're not going to end up right here where we are with a redistricting lawsuit before the Supreme Court in, you know, another eight or nine years or 10 years after the next census? Or another year if the majority of the Supreme Court flips back next year. Nothing, nothing. Uh, And in fact, when you go back and look at the history of redistricting in Wisconsin since Baker versus Carr, which established the one vote, one person, one vote rule. Um, it's it's just been a mess consistently. There have been state courts and federal courts fighting about this. In, in the 1980s, we used two different sets of maps over the course of the decade because power changed in the state and allowed for, for one side to have their way. Uh, we, we published a really good uh, historical look at this in the Marquette Lawyer magazine. You can find for free on our website that any of you nerds out there want to want to get a blow by blow account of the last six redistricting cycles, knock yourselves out. Uh, it's genuinely pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's uh, nothing we've done has ever been like a good system that has worked. Um, and I think it, it's it's crying out for uh, a permanent solution. And there's plenty of states, Missouri, Michigan, that have come up with uh, solutions that do work. You know, the Iowa situation, they were one of the first states to come up with um, an independent redistricting law. So they didn't have a lot of models to work with at the time. And uh, theirs has worked pretty well. But I think the big problem with it is it doesn't actually define 
um, if you if you copied and pasted it into Wisconsin, it doesn't actually define what happens in a deadlock scenario. Mm. Uh, in in Iowa, it works because the the state constitution requires that the Supreme Court steps in if no map is drawn by a certain date. Whereas in Wisconsin, that requirement doesn't exist. And so if we just copy and paste the Iowa law here, it still leaves this sort of undefined gridlock scenario, which to me is the most important thing to come up with a sort of permanent resolution to that all sides can accept. Yeah, yeah, it'll be, I mean, there there have been some some legislative proposals, uh, an Iowa style model, uh, kind of kind of like what you mentioned. Um, actually, that is what you mentioned. But um, and there's yeah, there's been some debate about whether that's the right way to go. Um, Governor Evers has decided to intervene in this redistricting lawsuit. So it'll be very interesting to see, you know, how the Supreme Court plays into this and if the legislature does actually get a chance to jump back in and, and have a say in redistricting. So um, that's all I have time for today. But I, I really appreciate the the dip into this this extremely deep waters of redistricting. So thank you, John. Thank you. All right, Adam, thank you for sharing that interview with us. We'll have to keep an eye on how this court case and these challenges to the legislative maps end up happening. But in the meantime, the listeners can go to our website at wispolitics.com for any updates. That's right, Kate. We'll be sure to bring them any CCAP news. But for now, I'm Adam Kellenhofer. I'm Kate Morton. Thanks for tuning in to Wispolitics Capital Chats, brought to you by Spectrum.